0: Peace, peace, and welcome to another Cook on Monday Morning discussion. This is the finale to Cook on Monday Morning, the last episode ever. And what better way to end it than with a member of my family, my brother from another mother. Uh, this beautiful gentleman <laughs> uh, has such an incredible story. Self-made uh, family man. Uh you know, one of the most um, courageous and uh, intelligent uh, people I've had the opportunity to meet. He's an Iraqi veteran. He is a real estate developer. He is uh, um, a Native American. He is uh, so much more than that. And I'm going to let him tell more of his story mr lucas eastwood is the founder and uh, principal manager of eastwood development based in the mission district and he does a, a wide array of uh, you know philanthropic environmental things etc so uh, i'm excited that i'm ending cook on monday morning with this fine gentleman and it's an honor to have him lucas
1: eastwood what's up beloved it's an honor to be here, my friend. And I'm, uh, I'm flattered and humbled by um, your gracious introduction.
0: Yeah, I, I don't want to give any spoil. I, I gave some spoiler alerts, but you know, it's so much of your story that I want to get into. And it's so many different places we can start, but we're, we're now in December. Uh, we're a few days before Christmas. And yep. you just, you know, ran a business during the pandemic.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a little um, touch and go there for a little while. It was a very, very scary experience and still is as a as a business owner that relies on, um, you know, cash and the market and, um, you know, uh, investors and things like that. It was, um, you know, and loans from banks and all that stuff, you know, kind of hit the brakes for a little while there. So, um you know, it was uh, it was very scary. A lot of my business is, is really based on personal relationships. And a lot of people have come to know me as somebody who's uh, trustworthy and who they can count on. And um, people have been willing to bet on me over and over without those relationships, without those connections, without that sort of like reputation. Um, you know, I don't know how well, um, I would have survived this frankly. So, um, and that goes everybody from like clients, bankers, investors, like, you know, employees, like everybody, you know, really, um, really, really helped to, to pull the rope in the same direction and get us, get us stabilized during this. I won't say we're through it, but we're definitely, we're definitely stable.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting thing, too, because you, you know, you spend a career building that and then it gets tested at a time like this. And you never really know the strength of it until um, it seems like the sky is on fire. There's no end of sight. The sky literally turned orange <laughs> this year.
1: I was out of spot that day, but, but I saw many photos of that. Yeah. Uh,
0: and you, you've you had, uh, I would say, uh, a uh, interesting path to get to this point. Right. How long have you been in real estate officially? Since two thousand and ten. So j- ten years. Yeah. Drop drop a dime on them. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's go back to that beginning story uh, for real estate. Then we're going to go further back into your upbringing. But uh, what? How did it start?
1: Yeah, I you know, I was a contractor uh, in you know from. 2007 and 2010, still am a contractor. Um, but I was basically just, um, you know, I was, I was hustling for work, uh, you know, 2007, 2008, 2009, you know, just trying to make ends meet, you know, just like swapping out water heaters over the weekend or like, you know, replacing rotten deck boards or building Ikea furniture. You know, just really, just super scrappy uh, by myself, doing everything I could, um, you know, to make a living, and um, you know, and and without really wanting to work for somebody else. Um, and uh, so that took a lot of like that took a lot of hustle, hustle that I'm not sure I have in me anymore, um, in in that in that sense. But um, I, I was really fortunate that. Um, I, I had, you know, it was really two relationships that, that, that started what has now, you know, become like, you know, a a much larger, more successful, more sophisticated business, but it was really these two relationships. So one, I had a friend who was buying foreclosure properties off the courthouse steps and he bought a house on Lake street and he, he Offered to um to sell it to me at X price. And I thought, well, you know, if I can buy it for that price and put in, you know, X amount of money, um yeah, there's probably some money to be made here, you know. Um, but I didn't really have any money. I had, you know, uh about fifty thousand dollars to my name, and it had taken me you know, taking me five years to say that. I was also at the same time, I was doing a remodel for some clients, not even a remodel, just a kind of a smaller project where I was replacing some windows and some siding for these folks, um, you know, out on, out on 17th Ave. And um, yeah, they're very like humble, gracious couple. And we had just started to kind of BS and chat about real estate here and there. They were interested, and you know I was always interested in real estate. I, I don't know why. Um, I, I just was, and um, and they said if you ever find anything, let us know. And so I said, oh well, I happen to have found something, and you know it's this deal that my friend will sell to us, you know, um, you know for a decent price, and you know I think we can. I think if we partner up on it, we can make some money. So I put in my little 50K. They put in, you know, a million dollars. And, you know, a year and a half later, um, you know, we sold the place and we both made, you know, a a relatively significant amount of money. Um, You know, very significant to me. You know, I'd basically taken that 50,000 and turned it into, you know, 300,000. And so I was like, okay, this is what I wanna do. Um, It's a lot more lucrative than building Ikea furniture on the weekends. So that was the first project that I did that was out on Lake Street. Um, And it took about a year and a half to do. Um, and, And by that time, before that deal was even sold, I had basically found another property and another, you know, willing investor and started started my second project at that time, so I already started to sort of scale up before it had even shown success. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but that's really my first project.
0: There was there was things about that because you told me the story before that I wanted to tease out related to you know your beginning because you told me the story about fixing people's furniture and meeting this couple, and um, it sounds very organic. Like I happen to know this person, I happen to be working on this thing and and you also said i wanted to get into real estate i i didn't know i don't know why i was always into it you know often people talk about you got to have a plan you got to have like the objectives you got to like um have these targets and would you say that is true do you think having that would have helped you like how and also also did you imagine um It would turn into what it's turned into. That's a lot of questions, but (laughs) start wherever you like.
1: Well, first of all, I'll answer the last one first. I never imagined that it would turn into what it's turned into. Never, 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 never. Until I'm literally sitting right here, you know, looking at it, going, "Geez, like this is this is incredible." Um, I would say in terms of planning, you know, I've I've always been a guy that's Really been lucky when it comes to timing, in some ways. So I feel like you know, time and intuition, timing and intuition has always really played in my favor, um, and sort of that was that was the case here, right? Um, where I think I I should have done some planning, or I I could I wish I could go back and do some planning was in terms of growth right? Like making a plan for growth, like that first project, like it wasn't easy, but it was simple. It was like one project, one investor, you know, one objective, um, you know, and yeah, I needed to have a staff to do it. And, you know, I already had a small staff at that time. Um, you know, I had a lot of time, you know, so anytime something came up, I was able to just problem solve it personally because I was, I was available. Um, but I didn't really plan on, yeah, I wish I had done some more planning around, around the growth Mm -hmm. Uh, that, that could have definitely used some, some, some sitting down and, you know, talking to other business professionals, talking to other real estate developers, um, and figuring out the path for the future.
0: Do you and, and, and is that more so about uh, we I could have done more if I had talked to people or, or is, is that like a hindsight thing or you just made did you make mistakes that lost you money because you didn't plan like where, where does that come from?
1: Yeah, I think I think I made mistakes, you know, and I think I um, I'm still making them, you know, like I think that's part of the deal. But, you know, I, I probably would have made less mistakes had I sort of foreshadowed um, things a bit better.
0: Like yeah. what? What's what's an example?
1: Management of my company, right? So, like, if I'm going to be out there dealing with investors and and you know finding real estate opportunities and dealing with you know the various departments that one has to deal with in San Francisco to get anything built, um, you know that alone in itself could be a full time job. But but I also have to run a construction company and I have to make sure. You know, payroll's covered every week, and we have the right kind of cash flow, and we have the right kind of insurance, and we have the right kind of structure. You know, um, and so I didn't really ever focus on 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 the company. I focused on the projects, and I, I wish I would have sort of focused on on the company and building the company. Um, you know, uh, a little bit more. Um, than just the projects themselves, you know, because it's fine when you're dealing with one or two projects, but once you get up to like 15, 18 projects, you know, like, you know, th- there, there's got to be a lot of structure in place um, in order to be, continue to be successful. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, yeah, so, so that's sort of the phase I'm in now where um, I'm really uh, trying to, planned for the future and um, you know put ourselves in a position to be successful as an as an organization overall as a general contractor, as a real estate developer um, you know so th- that's that's what I do spend a little more time focusing on these days. I want to ask
0: so how many projects do you have now that I want to go because because I mentioned you being a veteran. And I wanted to go from like this project thing to like the mission, which I'm sure was like a thing you had to do when you were in the service. So, but before we go back to that place, how many existing projects do you have? Either like under construction on for sale or roughly?
1: Yeah, probably like probably 15, I would say is about right. Maybe, okay. maybe, maybe a couple more, a couple less. But I, I think it's I think it's hovering right around fifteen and and
0: over the course of the last ten years, uh, how many projects have you completed? Probably thirty the The focus on the project focus on the mission. I just made that connection. i don't know if it actually makes sense <laughs> at all uh, what what Why did you join the military?
1: Well, I mean, this is opening up a completely different can of worms, but you know. I grew up on a Indian reservation up in Eastern Oregon and, um, you know, I grew up, uh, like super poor, like, you know, um, you know, struggling to eat sometimes, you know, um, like, like really poor, my, uh, my, my family was, it was, it was me, my youngest brother and my dad. Um, and, uh, yeah, we just didn't have nothing, um, for a long time. And, um, you know, I, I I played sports. I played uh, you know basketball and football. Um, you know, and I was a good athlete, but not not really good enough, and not in sort of the right sort of marketplace to be recruited to go to college or anything like that. So, outside of like, outside of you know playing my way into a college, um, college really wasn't even a thing that was on my radar. Um, so. Uh, the military was sort of like the next option because I didn't want to like live out my life on that reservation. I didn't want to like, you know, at 18, 19 years old, um, just you know get like a job at the local um, you know casino or um, and and sort of settle down and just just kind of go with go with that. Like I always wanted more, and I didn't I didn't like being poor. Like I really didn't like being poor and I knew I wanted at some point to like make money. And so the army was like, gave me an opportunity to get like a guaranteed check every two weeks. Um, you know, the opportunity to, um, to excel, the opportunity to get promoted, the opportunity to make more money, um, the opportunity to put together savings for college, you know, if I wanted to go to college, So I guess I joined because I didn't have a lot of other options. Um, But also, like, you know, I I like playing sports. I like being physical. I like fitness, you know, all that stuff. So it seemed like I was going to be, like, I was going to fit pretty well, and it wasn't going to be something that was, like, particularly challenging to me, Um, you know. But I joined on September 4th, uh, 2001, (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, I was going to ask you about September 11th next. All right. So before, before, before we do, um, thank you for your service. Um, and I always thank all the people that served. You know, you, you, you talked about maybe like the lack of resources, lack of options, some, some about your family circumstance. What, what, res, what, what Indian tribe are you, Native American tribe are you? Uh,
1: well, I'm from the Umatilla Indian Reservation. Um, and that's, that's three different tribes. That's uh Umatilla, Cayuse and Walla Walla, um, and I'm I have mostly Cayuse blood, but it's kind of a mix.
0: And hopefully, we can talk a little bit more about uh, that tradition and um, you know what life is like there to paint a better picture. But sure. when when you if you can if you know you, we're both much older now, right? It sounds like you were kind of near your senior year in high school around to uh, September 11th. What was when you, if you can walk us back to like that 18 year old Lucas thinking about the military or like going to the recruiting office, was it like mostly excitement? Was it like desperation? Was it like, like, what was the, what was the initial conversation like with the person at the office? Do you remember that?
1: You know, I actually met my army recruiter playing basketball at the Y. Um, And like, I got to know this dude and we just became friends and I didn't even know he was a recruiter at the time. I think hanging out with him um, and like, I got to know him pretty well Um, and he didn't really try to recruit me. Um, You know, we we had a pretty legitimate like friendship that I don't don't really think he was trying to recruit me at all. Uh, Maybe he was, Um, but um, yeah, I just like, once I got to know him and I, and I started to learn about the options that were available, you know, and, and I was the one asking him questions, you know? Um, and, um, yeah, I think, I think I felt excited. I think I felt like, and I've always been kind of like that. I don't think I've like, even if I have to do something out of desperation, like once I decide to do it, like I'm, I'm like, I'm in, you know, like I'm all in. So, um, you know, uh, no, I don't think there was any like desperation or um, really even any fear. Um, it was just like, okay, cool. Like this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so, no, I, I, I think it was like a pretty fun time in my life. And like, I felt, I felt like I had something to look forward to.
0: Yeah. So there's like, um, there's some hope in the option and it's September 4th, 2001. And then, like, the world changes in what seven days?
1: Yeah. And I told you, timing has always been like kind of my thing, you know.
0: <laughs> That's I'm a not- good thing to have, or not, or so not about that. So, you signed the papers. Like, what or, do you have an expected departure day? Like, what's the plan on September 4th?
1: I like swore in, okay. And then I got on a bus, you know, and like left for, you know. Um, the first phase is basically like basic, training, which is a three week phase called total control. And basically what they do is they cut you off from your family, news media, telephone, television. Uh, so you don't have contact with the outside world for three weeks. They really try to like sever that before your actual training starts. So, you know, you're exercising a couple times a day and you're eating, but you're not really doing much. You know, you're just kind of hanging out, um, you know, getting to know the guys around you, um, you know, cause I was in an all male unit. Yeah. So I didn't even know September 11th happened until probably like two weeks after it happened. You know, oh. like my mom, my mom was the first person I called after, um, after this this period, this three week period was up, and she was just like she was just like losing it, you know. But there were like some rumors going around the the like the base, you know, that I was on. But I was like thinking to myself like, oh, they just they just tell everybody that because they're just trying to get you to like take it seriously. Um, so I thought it was like just BS basically um, until like, yeah until I heard my mom's voice on the phone and like.
0: Yeah, and then she told me about it, and I was like, "Oh
1: wow, you know." Yeah, that's crazy. That's yeah, crazy. so they they really kept that
0: rule about no media <laughs> because, yeah. like, yeah, yeah, because you know, I was like a sophomore in high school, and they closed school, yeah, sent everybody home, yeah, and, um, and then it was immediately like, you know, it was already like, oh, somebody from the Middle East, you know, it was, it was, it was just, it was so surreal. Right. And yeah. so for you, your mom told you officially and you were like in the apparatus, like the folks that are going go defend the nation. Right. Oh, yeah. And yeah. that's a trip. Yeah. Yeah. What, so what so you find out after the training period, th- then what happens?
1: Well, then I go through my training. Right. So I, I think it was like 12 weeks of of training and like specialty school. Um, and then, and then I, I think I went home for a week or something like that. Like I flew back home. Um, and then I flew back and I went to airborne school because I was a paratrooper also, um, that, that program was only three weeks long. Um, and then once airborne school was over, then I got basically assigned to my, my permanent sort of duty station, my, like, you know, my base, I got assigned to it. Um, and that was the 82nd Airborne. Uh, and that was just outside of Fayetteville, North Carolina, um, is where I was based. And, you know, like
0: a, there's, some, there's some, I'm sorry to interrupt you. There's some significance to that number, right? 82nd Airborne. I feel like I've heard that.
1: Yeah, there's That's a pretty I mean. history with that unit for sure. I remember during like basic training and 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 boot camp and airborne school and stuff, you know, like excuse my language, but I'm, this is a direct quote, but they're like, you fuckers are going to war. You better take this shit seriously, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I wasn't convinced that we were going to war at that point. Like I didn't, like, I knew what had happened, but I wasn't like, you know, I don't know. I didn't necessarily know what was going to happen. So, you know, I was just like, oh, they tell everybody that, you know, like we don't know what's going to happen. So I wasn't like really, I really wasn't thinking about it too much. I was just trying to like, just try to excel at my like, my chosen job. And like, you know, it's a very competitive environment, you know, and so I was focused on like just trying to get, trying to get ahead of the pack.
0: I was going to ask about that because it sounds like you did some stuff related to the competition. But did you like, can you talk about who some of the guys were? Like, did you like it? Like,
1: what was the, what was going on? I loved it for the most part. I mean, mostly it's like, I would say the army, like, is, was that I was, that I was a part of was mostly made up of like black, black and brown folk from like poorer parts of the country. And, um, you know, so we all have, like, a lot of like similarities in our stories, you know? So um, I found like, I found the, the the experience with my peers very, very relatable, um, you know? And, and again, like I like that competition, you know? I like going out every day and like, you know, trying, trying to beat whoever at whatever. Um, you know, I still have that like competitive spirit. Um, you know, but um so so I, I i pretty much enjoyed it for the most part.
0: So the twelve weeks happens, they they're like you you can curse on here. They're like you fuckers are going to war, take the shit seriously, you like whatever. Mm-hmm. What when do you actually go to Iraq? Like how much time is it between September fourth well,
1: started, started with Afghanistan? So I went started, I went to Afghanistan probably um yeah, six months after I got to my duty station. So I think that was like probably nine months from the time I joined. So, yeah, it was probably like, yeah, it's probably like the summer of the summer to fall of uh, 2002 that I went to Afghanistan. Um,
0: yeah, it sounds like that's a wide window. I feel like I remember the exact... <laughs> I'm leaving the country to go to war. I feel like that'd be a very vivid day for me. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, I guess when, yeah, I remember coming home more than I do leaving mm. more significance to me. You know,
0: what's it like when you get there?
1: Hot. <laughs> okay. The, Temperature. A, a warm country. Yeah. Hard to sleep, you know, cause it's so hot. Uh, what's it like, did you land and they
0: just assigned you like, what was the quarter? you, you arrived? What's the process?
1: Yeah, I mean, my process was was a little bit unique, just because I was um, I was like I was like with the special forces, so I was attached to the special forces unit to basically provide like support to them. So I ended up out on this like little this little rock, you know, on the on the Pakistani um, Afghanistan border, um, Pakistan Afghanistan border. Um, so I was just out on this little rock. And there was like 50 of us out there in the middle of nowhere. And like, we would see like a helicopter every two weeks. They would like drop supplies, um, you know? And so it was very, like, I was very isolated and I had a very different experience than, because there are like big bases there, you know, now. But like, yeah, like I got to Kandahar Airport, you know, I got off the plane at night, like it was hot, you know, you know, I went and I found my, you know, my cot, you know, my place to sleep in, you know, for the night. And then, you know, uh, after about a week of sort of, just sort of acclimating and, you know, um, being taught sort of like the protocol of, you know, how much water you're supposed to drink, how you're supposed to like load your rifle and blah, 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 because we're in like a different climate and a different environment. Um, So they teach you how to like take care of yourself in that environment um and um so after that initial process you know then they sent me to this 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 firebase um which was out in the middle of nowhere and you know that was where like that was the first time i like got shot at or i got attacked you know um that was the first time like i felt like my life was actually in danger and and it was you know I have a picture where I'm holding up like a mortar shell that landed like right next to me you know like mm. so we would get attacked from like the, the Pakistan side because it's just these mountain ranges right there's no like natural border mm. and so they would, they would attack us from the, the backside of this mountain range with mortars and they would shoot them over mm. and try to hit our try to hit our base and you could hear them like you could literally hear them going you can hear them in the air after yeah. they fire them. So you can hear the explosion when they fire them. And then you you can like hear them through the air, but it doesn't really tell you where they are. You just know they're over your head. Ooh. So you just like try to find cover, you know, and then like you can tell when they hit the ground and like explode and you can tell how close they are for how that, how far they are to you. Um, so that was like, Yeah, it got really real then, you know? Um, And I would spend like my nights up on like, off the base, up on like a remote mountain, maybe in in Pakistan or like on the Afghanistan side, I would basically spend my night up there like doing surveillance um, and try to like, see what was happening, um, you know? And then If there was like an attack on us, like we would call in like we would call in like air support, you know, so we'd call in like a a fighter jet to basically come in and like hit the target that 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 was firing on us. Um, So it wasn't like this, you know, it wasn't like 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 Vietnam was, you know, it wasn't like this like, you know, this like rifle to rifle. You know, combat it was it was it was it was it was way more remote than that. Um, but but very very unpredictable. And and I, I think like if I could summarize war, it's like ninety percent boredom and like ten percent like sheer terror. Mm. You know, mm. um, so like a lot of times you're like sitting around playing cards or like reading a book or like mm. doing push-ups or like working out or whatever. Um, so. Yeah, um, that was like my that was my experience there. How many tours did you do? So I, I just did two. I did I did one in Afghanistan, then I did one in one in Iraq.
0: For this initial run, you said like ninety percent, you know, boredom, ten percent terror. Was there? Did you know like what you wanted to do afterwards at this point? Like, what was your future plans? What how were you thinking about? Did you, did you, did you ever think you were gonna die? Uh,
1: I felt like it was in, in, in Iraq, I felt like it was very, even though I came closer to dying, well, it's tough to say. I came close in both places, like to being basically blown up or hit with like a, a mortar shell, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and got, I got shot at a lot, like our helicopters to get shot at and stuff, you know, in those rounds, sometimes they come through the floor or whatever. Um, so, you know, um, I don't ever think I thought I was going to die, but I definitely felt like it's, it's a possibility and like, you know, so I wrote a lot of letters and tried to like, make sure that like my bases were covered with my family and whoever else in case I didn't come home, Um, I did feel like that was a possibility.
0: Yeah, I asked that because I was just asking about the future, but I didn't want to like talk about future plans if you didn't really think you had much of a future.
1: <laughs> so Yeah, I mean I felt like I was gonna come home, you know, but I wasn't sure. You know, I lost a couple like really close friends and I saw a lot, a lot of a lot of death, particularly in Iraq. In fact, today, like I wear this memorial bracelet um like every December for a friend of mine that died in December, you know. And you know, I could have been a part of that, but but I wasn't that day. I wasn't on that truck that day. And so you know, it's almost like a dumb luck kind of thing that I'm here. You know, it's just like my number wasn't called. You know, uh, by the big guy upstairs. So um, yeah, I. uh, uh, But I definitely saw it, and I knew it was possible for me to not come home. so in, ter- in terms of future, yeah, I thought about the future, you know, but I didn't know if the future meant me staying in the military or getting out of the military or, you know, I still didn't really have like a, a, a plan per se, um, you know, but then, you know, after, after, my, after my tour in Iraq, I, I think things really shifted for me and like I was just in a really... Kind of dark headspace after that and um really decided that um i, I wanted to get out of the military because i didn't want to ever end up back hmm. in either of those countries um so i wanted out you yeah. know my four years was up i really wanted out
0: yeah and I, and I know you i know you have so you have you have four kids
1: Yep, and
0: um and you know, that they're growing up very differently than you grew up. I, I wanna come back, I wanna talk about some of the ways that the military was like transformative for you. And I, and I know that, uh, I know your political leanings now, right? Like your emphasis on social justice, your like, your your um, you, how much you care about progressive things. And, but uh, you know, some of the issues you have with how difficult it makes, how difficult San Francisco and the state makes it for people to do business. Um, so I want to touch in on some of that. But uh, if you're if you had a kid that wanted to go to the military, like, how would you take that conversation?
1: Yeah, I think I would be I would be supportive. I mean, it's easy to say now because, like, I'm at least 11 years away from having that conversation with my oldest kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but I um I think that most of the people that join the military do it because they don't have a lot of other options. So I I don't necessarily see, I don't, I don't see my kids doing it. Um, or, or, but maybe who knows? I I don't really know. Um, but I I think I would be like pretty much supportive, uh, of whatever they want to do. Um, you know, uh, that's that's kind of how I feel.
0: Let's go back to that. Let's go back to Iraq and the in the dark place. The experience of veterans coming home is something I just kind of hear about, like, in passing, you know. But it's it's the my perception is that people have a, a hard time adjusting. Uh, and and it should, I'm sure it varies. People have a hard time adjusting once they get back. Like, and I should ask you what have you seen for people as they come back? Is it kind of mixed? Is it mostly rough and some positive? Like how are people, how are, how are the veterans that you know?
1: Transitioning? I mean, I a lot of it depends on, on like your support system, to be honest. I think that drives really a lot of it. Like if you have like a lot of support um, and you have a family that was there for you during your service and you know sending you letters and and supporting you during your service, then I think it's an easier transition. It also depends on what you saw and what you experienced and how that affects your like, your psyche, you know, like a lot of the stuff that I saw um, affects me more today than it did, you know, 20 years ago, um, you know, or however many years ago that was. But, um, But yeah, a lot of the stuff that I experience, um, I experience now. You know, I think a lot of it like was sort of dormant at the time, and that's just a that's just a survival skill, right? It's just like you know, it's just too too heavy to deal with in the moment. So, um, but like my moment when I came back from from Iraq, uh, yeah, I just I just. I just felt like, fuck this place. Like, fuck this. Like, we're going over there. You know, we're getting killed for no fucking reason. Like, this is just stupid. And, like, why would I ever want to be a part of it, you know? And so I joined, like, Veterans for Peace, you know, um, Iraq Veterans Against War. You know, like, I joined these organizations, just really had this, like, 180, you know, viewpoint. But I never I never was bought in. I never bought into the stuff that I was doing. Mm. My whole job when I was in Iraq and when I was in Afghanistan was to just get me and my friends home. That was all I was thinking about. I wasn't thinking about some greater mission. I wasn't thinking about some weapons of mass destruction. I wasn't thinking about Osama bin Laden or Saddam Hussein and, you know even really, unfortunately, I, I wasn't thinking about the people of those countries who suffered immensely, you know, at, at, you know um, very undeservedly. Um, I was just thinking about trying to get home with my body intact um, and, and alive and, and trying to do the same thing for my buddy. So that's what got me out of bed in the morning. And that's what kept me like working hard at my job was trying to just get home.
0: Yeah. I forgot about weapons of
1: mass destruction.
0: <laughs> so you just brought that up. And I don't mean to laugh, but like, I remember like the little Sorry oh, about that. Did you want to say something about that?
1: I said I didn't find any of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Right. At that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because I remember the news reports and I was, you know, I'm in college at the time and uh, yeah. Iraq came later, obviously. Yeah. It was just like we swim by. No weapons, no weapons no weapons, but you were, you were out there as the, or well, how did it work? How, like you, 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 you did a tour, you came home and then they sent you back. Like what?
1: Yeah. I was deployed for, you know, six or seven months at a time. Um, you know, and then I came home and I was home for like a year, you know, and then I would get sent on other little like domestic like missions. Like I was, I, I, I taught cadets at West Point for like a summer. Um, that was kind of a cool assignment that I enjoyed. Um, you know, and then it was actually at the end of that training, you know, um, that I got orders to go to Iraq. So it was like, I just finished that training. I enjoyed that summer. I was like 45 minutes out of the city. So I got to see New York and got to experience New York and I was only working like four days a week. So I spent, you know, a whole summer of, of basically like, three day weekends in New York city. Um, so that, that was, that was cool. But then, yeah, but then I would, I would get basically notice orders or like put you on notice that you're, you're going to this country and you're, you're assigned to this area and you're going to do this. Um, I got those orders for Iraq on my birthday actually. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, And I just, uh, I knew it was going to come eventually. Like, I knew uh, we were going to go, you know. Happy birthday, huh? Exactly. Timing, man.
0: (laughs) Always. Um, Um, Well, let's let's come back to coming home permanently. mm Mm-hmm. So do did you know where you wanted to like set up a shop and live like what's how, what was the transition back to
1: it's like I, I, it's crazy to think about but over four years I made like zero plans for the future like zero right but you you're, you're back and so are
0: you back in your hometown like what happens
1: I'm back and I, I don't know what I'm gonna do and I'm thinking, okay, well, like let me go work like road construction because that's what I did for like the summer before I left for the military. And it was like good pay. It was like, okay, you can like, you work these like 60 hour weeks, you get a lot of overtime, like it's a pretty good gig, you know, and you only have to work like six months of the year and then you get unemployment the other six months, you know, so let let me go do that, try to get on with this crew that I was on with before. So that was, that was like one thought I had. Another thought I had was like, well, you know, let me just go home back to the rest and like see what's happening, get a job at the casino, you know, and, and just, just, um, you know, just, just go home and just be home. Like that was, that was enough for me at that time, just to be home. Like that was, that was, a, that was a big enough plan because of what I just spent four years doing. Uh, I felt like I needed a little breather. Um, But then I called my, my uncle, uh, my dad's oldest brother who lived here in the city. And he was like a contractor at the time. And this is in 2005 uh, when I got out and he was like, you know why don't you come here and like i got an extra room downstairs and you can stay there and like you know you can work for me and um you know spend spend some time in san francisco and see if you like it or not and so i, I went for option number three and did that mm-hmm. so i moved here in 2005 i never i'd never even been here before um I moved here. I didn't really, I don't really own anything. I had like a car and like, you know, a duffel bag full of clothes. Um, So it wasn't like a big move. Um, I just had to drive out here and um, I moved in with, with him. Yeah. And just started like working for him and he was, he was a contractor. So, you know, we were just doing, I was just doing like, you know, basic work and he's like, I'll pay you the same that I pay like the, the day laborers you know like like the day laborers on caesar chavez you know which was like at the time it was a 100 bucks a day plus lunch mm-hmm. so uh i did that um for a while and just uh you know went, went to city college and thought okay well maybe i'll do some like i'll get some credits here and maybe i'll go get a degree in like kinesiology or like know something related to like health and fitness because that was still something that just always like interested me still does um yeah after about two years of that i just was like my heart wasn't in it my heart wasn't in school i never really did well in school i always struggled with school and uh so i just i just was like all right i'm gonna give this like construction thing like like my full attention and so i went and got a contractor's license in 2007 um you know which is sort of where this story started in a way
0: what was the city like in 2005 for you like coming here you know the neighborhoods what was your initial impression of san francisco
1: was a lot more parking back then (laughs) uh, for sure (laughs) um but i like i loved where i lived i lived on on like 20th in Vermont, right at the top of Potrero Hill. I live, I was just really lucky. I just, I lived in this cool little apartment basically, and, and had this park across the street. And I just felt like I loved it. You know, I, I felt great about it. And, you know, and there was like, there was still a lot of, um, there's still a lot of crime, like in the mission, Bernal Heights, you know, that, 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 that area. Um, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of gang violence still happening. I think, um, I mean, it was probably worse prior to 2005 but but it was still happening in 2005 and I was like, oh, like this is like my first real exposure to anything like this. And I wasn't a part of it or a victim of anything, but I saw it, you know, I saw people get shot, you know, I heard it, um, you know, like because I lived in the mission right after Moving here, I after stayed on Potrero Hill for a little while, but then moved to the mission and was like, yeah, you know, stuff was like, stuff was happening. You know, I lived on 24th in Florida. Um, and, you know, that, that Garfield Park, I think, where the swimming pool is like was, that was definitely gang territory. Um, so, you know, I knew that and stayed away from there, but it doesn't mean that, you know, it wasn't it wasn't around. Um, but, uh, but I didn't, I mean, I didn't, I didn't care. Um, you know, I, I come from a family of people with similar backgrounds, you know, people who've been to prison and people who spent their life committing crimes. Um, so I wasn't ever like scared of it or, or put off by it or anything like that. Um, you know, I, I knew people were just trying to survive. So yeah, I loved it for, for all of that, you know? for, you know, the beautiful architecture of the homes, uh, for like, you know, the the neighborhood that I lived in, I I loved, um, you know, and um, yeah, just, it it felt a little more diverse, a little less sort of segregated than it does today as well. So it felt like a place where there was like, just more like kind of like a quality, um, you know, and it felt like a very progressive, place which was nice because i just spent like you know four years with a bunch of like gun toting like republicans you know uh trying to shoot somebody in iraq you know and that that was never me and so i never really fit in i could do that i could do the work you know but i but i never really fit in with that with that social group you know
0: yeah that year for me i was so 2005 i was actually in san francisco i was in I got suspended from college for a year so i came back that entire year and i was working like in nike town (laughs) and uh and so you you had come that same year you're kind of like getting settled you know um working a job that was sort of presented to you and then you decide you want to get this contractor's license was that in school you school sucks you don't like school was the was the license process hard to get through did it like did you make a decision to do it immediately? Like what was the, how did that work?
1: My uncle told me that he was going to, he was going to retire basically. Okay. And, and leave and move up like to the mountains. And I was like, well, like I could either like do this school thing full time. um, Or I can do this construction thing full time. But like, I'm not going to go try to get another job for somebody else. So him deciding to basically leave was motivation for me to to go get my license and to really just like start to fully embrace the world of, you know, contracting and construction.
0: What's going on in your personal life right now? Like, are you dating? Or are you like... Are you going to um, movies all the time? Like what's, what's happening? No, oh man,
1: not much, not much. Um, no, you know, I've been married for seven years, eight years, something like that. Um, you know, we have four kids. Uh, we have a very, very like full household, um, you know, cause we got four kids. Uh, our nanny lives with us too. So we got her living with us and we got two dogs. By the time I get home, we might have another pet. I don't know, <laughs> but it's busy. So, you know, it's it's very well, only
0: only met Kobe. Who's the other
1: dog? He's a tiny dog. He's the nanny's dog. Oh, um, got it. Never met that dog. <laughs> Kobe Bean Bryant is the is the is the more sociable one that, that you will meet when you come over. Okay. Yeah, the other one kind of like he's kind of like an old man. He weighs like six pounds and he just like stays in his room. He doesn't, he doesn't really do much. Got it. But, you know, it's another, it's another mouth to feed. It's another another heartbeat. Um, Uh So it's, it's a full house. I mean, it's never quiet. It's never, I, I, I I don't think I could work from home. Uh You know, I have like a private office. Luckily, Um, I I couldn't work from home because um, it's just, it's just, it's just so busy there, you know, Mm -hmm. all the time Um, and my youngest is eight months, you know, so, you know, I mean, everybody's working hard at home to to just try to keep things, try to keep things going. And, you know, the kids being out of school, it's, it's, it's been really, really stressful, Um, you know, trying to find stuff for them to do during the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but yeah, man, my life is, my life is, is pretty simple. I, I, you know, I just had knee surgery about seven weeks ago, so I'm just now able to start working out again. So basically I, I, you know, I come to the office, I work out, you know, I go home, you know, um, and spend time with the family and then sort of rinse and repeat. Uh, yeah, but there's a lot that
0: yeah. you just brought up that's that's like very different. So, because I know I know the the gains you have made in your life aren't lost on you, and you often talk about how much you appreciate the place that you've um, been to. You talked about like a private office, right? A nanny, um, uh, <laughs> you know, like uh, a full house. How does that compare to, you know, how old is your oldest son? How old is he? Your oldest, your oldest is a boy. How does he?
1: Seven.
0: Your seven-year-old is, is your firstborn. What's, what's your home look like at seven? How many people are in the house? Like, what's... I don't even know if we were, like,
1: living in our home. We might have been living with, like, but with, like, my grandparents or something. Um, yeah, it was pretty unstable. Uh, four, five, six, seven. It was pretty unstable till I was about, like, ten. So we were just, like, constantly moving living with a bunch of different people. but. I would say it was mostly just me and my, my middle brother, Nick. Um, you know, um and uh we lived with my mom and stepdad. I, I don't remember ever feeling very settled during those years, you know. Mm-hmm. Changed a lot. And
0: so for your for for your seven year old now, um are are there any uh lessons it could be for all your kids or like mm-hmm. traditions or um things that you want to you know instill that are either connected to your childhood or connect to life or are there like things you really want them to know
1: yeah i mean i think i want them like i think i want them to understand like the value of hard work you know that's one thing i try to teach them um I want them to be connected to their I mean one of the one of the one of the blessings actually of of growing up on a reservation, at least for me was I grew up with you know fifty family members you know within like a two mile radius you know so I was constantly with family I you know like my best friends weren't friends, they were like my cousins, you know, like I grew up like with my family. You know, and so trying to like expose them to that because that's that's pretty powerful. You know, like I never met my grandmother or my grandfather because say they, they you know, my grandfather died in prison. My grandmother died really young, um, so they 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 weren't around um, when I was born. But I um, I try to take my kids back to the reservation, uh, you know, at least once or twice a year so that they can be connected with that multi-generational like group of people who like knew my grandmother or like knew my grandfather or, you know, knew my dad, my dad passed uh, a little over 10 years ago, um, you know, um, but just so they can feel connected to that land and that we've, we've been on that land. Our tribe has been on that land for 500 years, you know, so we've been, you know fishing in the same water for 500 years like you know I want to share that with my kids you know like I feel a connection you know to, to my ancestors when when I go home um, and there's a lot about the reservation that's 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 tough and pretty unsavory um, there's a lot of parts that I would like them not to be exposed to um, you know there's a lot of like drug dealing and gang banging and stuff like that that like you know, happens in my family and I don't want them to not be exposed to it. um, But like, you know, that that's not really what I'm taking them up there to to show them, you know, I'm taking them up there to like, you know, hear the songs, participate in the ceremonies, like, you know, do the stuff I did when I was growing up.
0: That's the interesting thing, too, that, you know, there's like it sounds like there's some like dysfunction and self-destruction, which which happens it definitely happened in my neighborhood within my family coming up. But then there's also uh, these very, you know, there's all this history and like all these like old traditions. And so, you know, one would think that because of the potential dysfunction, uh, keeping and carrying all that would be difficult, but it sounds like it's, it's still going. Like whatever is happening with people's personal lives hasn't kept them from Imparting those lessons, keeping those things up. Like, are are these some of the same people? The people that are struggling are mm-hmm. also carrying these traditions.
1: Yeah, yeah. So there's 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 like a duality there for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. How do you?
0: And what, what? I mean, what's your reflections on that? Like, why do you think that is?
1: I think the you know the 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 generational trauma. I think is like. Um, you know, something that's very real and, and resonates a lot with me. Um, but also, like, when a song has been in your family for 500 years, there's just like, it's like, it's almost like in your blood. Mm-hmm. Like, you you can't, you can't even run away from it, you know? And I didn't actually start to realize that until I had kids. Like, I kind of avoided the reservation, quite honestly. Because mm-hmm. um, I was just like, you know, that place, like you know, I made some mistakes growing up there, you know, and, and, you know, and, um, I just felt like it was like a bad place and it, it was like full of unsavory characters. Cause I had, you know, the reservation that I knew, um, but it wasn't until I was a little bit older and I started having kids that I was like, Oh God, there's like so much that like I learned and I was a part of, and like, you know, uh, there's so much like family that we have here and people that like love us, you know, and, and like, uh, don't judge us and like just you know just you know are happy when we come and see them you know and and they want to know my children you know because they knew they knew that their great grandmother you know yeah, there's like a lot of that um duality um going on it reminds
0: me of uh when you were talking about the music it reminds me of uh gospel music that I had to sing that I was forced to sing (laughs) when I was a kid (laughs) and coming back to it as an adult and uh and how moving and grounding or like uplifting it is you know like those those early especially the music it can can, like you feel really connected to it that's a
1: nice way for me to like tap in
0: so we talked about you know you got a dime under you and um you, you did mention your dad I want I wanted to uh, talk about him for a second and this like uh because 10 years ago is is when he passed 10 years ago is when your business kind of really started mm-hmm. was there a connection there at all like did it um, yeah
1: yeah there was um you know we were we were we were talking a little bit not that much you know a couple times a year we were we were talking um you know and um you know, but, but he never really got to see m- my life um, that I was building for myself. So, and he obviously didn't meet any of my children since my oldest son is seven. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like, you know, he, he missed a lot. That's why like I like going back to the reservation is because like everybody knew him. So there's like this familiarity when you like know somebody that like, you know, mm-hmm. knew your dad, you know? and like, you guys can chat about that or whatever. Like, they can tell my kids about their grandpa, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like that's mm-hmm. as close as we're ever gonna get to like having a connection with him. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like important to me.
0: I mean, cause I would imagine like going through that and starting a company isn't easy. You know, what was that first year like?
1: Well, I started the company in 2007. Um, you know, but I think I was like, I was really easy. I was, I was really, it was really easy for me back then to compartmentalize things. Okay. You know, so that was like, that is a skill that I, you know, attained as a child because, you know, like who wants to feel hungry or poor or whatever? You know, it's like you just learn to like shut off those, like, those feelings. And um, you know, and then going into the military, same thing, right? Like you see things that you know no human should ever have to see, and so you just learn to like shut that part of your brain off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, um, I think with with uh, with my father that year, it was the same thing. It was like, well, I was like, I got this other thing I need to focus on anyway, so I didn't even really start to process his death for like a couple years after he actually passed, you know, like I went to the service and I was with my family and I, you know, I, I have, uh, I have three younger siblings. I have two younger brothers and a younger sister. And, you know, I tried to be there for them um, throughout the process. Um, but they're not exactly the type of people to like reach out, you know? Um, so um, yeah, it was just sort of this thing that happened um, and it really didn't, like it really didn't come like full circle probably until like five years when it was, when it had, when it passed five years ago, I was like, I was like that five year anniversary came up and I was like in pieces, you know, I was like, Oh my God, you know, like, I can't believe that happened. I got like really sad about it. And, and then this 10 year piece happened and we were going to do this big memorial this year, you know, um, and obviously weren't able to do that because of COVID. So, you know, we're going to do an 11 year, hopefully, hopefully it's 11, maybe, maybe it's a 12 year memorial, but um, you know, but, but we're going to go back up there and try that again. Um, but like, you know, me and my brother, I did go up there and me and my brother like went out to like, you know, his old, some of his old spots where he used to like hunt you know, fish or like his favorite like places to be, my dad's favorite places to be, Um, you know? And so I was able to like feel like kind of a connection with him again um, by like visiting those spaces.
0: Are you comfortable getting into like how he passed? It, It was, it was, it was accidental.
1: That's all I'll say.
0: So I want to talk a little bit more about your family and then I kind of want to go into some like some, some lessons from business and then we'll go into our rapid fire portion. Okay. Um, so, so at some point you get married.
1: Yeah, that so was th- a- 2012. We had just gotten together when my dad died. So that was, that was yeah, we'd been together for like six months. He died on July, in July. So we'd just gotten together at the beginning of 2010. It was like a relatively slow moving courtship but it was it was cool. Uh it was really sp- a special time um in my life and in her life.
0: Yeah, it's a trip because you know, it's like you meet this person and then like four kids later, you know. That's and then like 10 years later and you're kind of doing your first deals, they're they're working out and like you have this whole you know, other life. Um and there's this there's this book that I'm reading called Awareness and it talks about you know a lot about like the self and people changing right and i want to get your perspective on this about like who you who you are now and who you were 10 years ago and you're kind of like at a you might be at like another transition point like your, your life 10 years from now may be like very different do you do you feel like if you had to give yourself a, a percentage of how much of you is the same person that you were 10 years ago
1: it does i would say like 30 percent of me you know, is like the same person. You know, like I've, I think, yeah, I've changed a lot, a lot in ten years, and I think a lot of that has to do with having kids. Mm-hmm. Right? So that kid thing, like that, changes you or changed me. Uh, I think it changes a lot of people. You know, I've been challenged a lot in the last ten years, like with my health. You know, I think I have a lot of lingering health issues from. From my job in the military, from being a paratrooper, um, so that's 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 been challenging, and so that's that's changed me a lot. And then this this business and the growth of this company is like I never expected to be so work focused. Yeah, you know, I always worked hard, but I, I never expected to be um, just to for it to own me. You know, like, and and that there's 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 no days off and there's no um, there's no getting away from it. Um, but I found something that I love to do. I think ten years ago I was like, well, what am I gonna do? Like, I'm kind of doing this right now. It's like cool, you know. But I don't know if like my my I was I was as invested as I am sort of now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so. And I think I grew up a lot, you know, I think like 10 years ago, I was, I was, you know, 29 years old and I was like, you know, I was like still a kid in a lot of ways and had a lot of growing up to do, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I think I've I've done a lot of that um, in the last 10 years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and Eastwood development is, you know, a successful company. What, what would you say? The company stands for. What do you want it to stand for in San Francisco in terms of the work you do?
1: Well, I, I, uh, that's, and that's a, that's a that's a that's a there's a long answer for that. Um, you know, because there's so many answers for it. I think like you know, I think I want the projects that I do to be like architecturally significant. So I think I want the design of of my buildings to be something that is uh, special um, you know, that stands out, you know, I, I will have sort of left my mark, um, on this, on this city in a very tangible and elegant like way, you know, two, I think it's about the people who work here. Um, you know, it's about, um, it's about giving people opportunity. It's about giving people a voice. Um, it's about creating, like a family environment um, inside the organization. Three, um, it's about, you know, really trying to take an active role in participating in, in the communities that we work within. You know Whether that's like you know, buying coffee from the coffee shop mm-hmm. on the corner, you know, because it's the closest to the project, you know for a year, you know that's that's a small way. You know, or whether it's a bigger way where you know we're building, um, you know, we're building units that go to people um, who couldn't otherwise afford them. Um, you know, so we're we're you know we're participating in like you know the the down payment loan assistance program. Um, you know, and that we are. Um, you know, really trying to be more intentional and philanthropic with our, um, you know, with our profits and our 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 success, um, you know, and and really trying to just be a good person. Um, like this is a company like like my kids live live here. Like my, you know, like they're like I want them to be able to like walk down the street. You know, I don't want them to sort of like, you know have to worry when somebody brings up their dad because, you know, he's a big, bad developer. You know, I want, I want them to feel like this is a business that they can they can take part in, you know, and that's done it the right way. Um, you know, it doesn't mean we're gonna not make mistakes, but, you know, that, that we do it the right way, um, you know, and that's, you know, from an environmental piece to, you know, just a community and ethical um, piece. So no, know that that's that's I think that's a that's a good little summary. We'll we'll show some pictures of the projects
0: as we're talking because they are elegant, they are beautiful design homes. Being someone struggling to live in this city, that down payment assistance sounds so <laughs> like something that I want to participate yeah. in. It's a cool um, program. A lot of my a lot of my uh community work has been supported by you. Uh so You know, the philanthropic work, I know you started and that you want to do more of this thing about like success, you know, which for people who are high capacity, competitive, uh, growth minded, you know, I know you have like this growing business in in Portland. Uh, You might be thinking about other cities. Do you have a definition of success?
1: I mean, for me, it's like staying happy in my work like that's, that's, that success. You know, like, I think that financially, like, I think that, that I've, I've reached a certain point where I'm probably going to be okay personally, like no matter what, you know, I think I've, I've reached that sort of like level of, of personal success and, and wealth attainment. Um, you know, um, but I, I want to wake up every morning and do something that like inspires me and inspires the people around me that to me is like success
0: yeah that reminds me just talk about we should talk about a few of your inspirations for all of us that want to be inspired we seek inspiration you named your dog after kobe i think before kobe passed right
1: yeah yeah yeah. kobe being Bryant. yeah
0: what are those i mean talk a few talk a little about your inspirations and then we'll go into the rapid fire the people that inspire you
1: Yeah. Well, the the two you mentioned, obviously, um, you know, I think, um, you know, there's, there's another family here that does what I do. Um, you know, the Taboni group and it's become this sort of like family legacy business. I think that's inspirational. Like that's something I want to create, you know, where, you know, they're they're they might be in business, you know, 30 years longer than I've been, but it's become like a family business, and I think that's something that, like, I really look forward to. Um, so I sort of look at them, you know, and I and I, I know them as well, uh, not not well. We don't like hang out, but but you know I know them, and um, yeah, I look at what they're doing, and and uh, it's it's inspirational uh, for for that reason, um, you know. And then um, I don't know if I have a lot of like. lot of people that I look up to or am inspired by, um, like, 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 consciously. um, I'm more like, I'm more sort of driven by um, trying to make those around me as successful, um, and trying to give everybody like a leg up. So I'm more like, I'm more like, driven by trying to like help somebody get ahead than i am by looking at somebody who's got ahead um does that make sense it
0: does yeah
1: yeah that's like a big part of what makes me tick
0: yeah and i feel like i mean um you've been that for me you you supported me and uh supported me with your time now supporting me and other things that i've done helped talk me through my some of my personal struggles. <laughs> good man, good friend. <laughs> and um, and so is there a major misconception or a few misconceptions you wanna debunk or address about going into real estate? It seems like the thing that like everyone thinks they can get rich quick at. Maybe I could, maybe yeah. it's Bitcoin today, actually. <laughs> maybe Bitcoin.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it is. And that was the one thing I was going to, I was going to, yeah, I was going to poke holes in that theory that it's like, it's, it's a hard living. Like it, it, it looks, you know, when you look at the numbers, you know, you think, okay, well, God, this, I mean, this guy's just like walking away from this deal with like millions of dollars, but you know, you're not, you're not counting like, you know, the, the five years of financing costs and and the, the real estate commissions and the transfer tax and the fees here and the fees there and, and you know, the, the cost of construction. And it looks like easy money, but it's not It's not easy money. And the, and the margins aren't what most people think that they are. If you just look at it sort of like, you know, without any insider knowledge, it looks like, oh, you paid a million five for that. You sold it for five million. You know, you must have at least made you know a uh, million dollars and that that's that's just not that's just not the case all the time there have been deals you know when you do when you do this long enough and you do enough deals there are these deals where you know you make a large sum of money in a very short amount of time and you know you you hit a home run but you know for every home run there's like you know, there's either like a strikeout, you know, five strikeouts and, and you know, 10 base hits, you know, mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, so it, it's 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 not easy money. And it, it, it's it's really hard work that like if you're going to get into real estate, like you, you got to play the long game, like this is not something to come into, you know, and try to jump in with both feet. You know, unless you're, you know, unless you have staying power, unless you're willing to commit to staying in the industry and and riding out the hard times. It's like, don't don't mess with it Mm -hmm.
0: because
1: you're more likely to get burnt than you are, um, you know, to walk away doubling your money.
0: Yeah. It's like it's like the the process will reveal who you are, you know? Yes. Yeah. And and it's
1: been, it's been been an awful year, you know, and it's like I had eight projects that were slated to come to market this year. I mean, this is a tough one, you know? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah.
1: And you're, you're sticking with it. (laughs) Well, the nice thing is I I got no other options. I got no education. My, you know, my wife's not working right now. So it's like,
0: Uh yeah,
1: this is is what I do to keep food on the table. And, uh, Mm -hmm. And I still love it. I mean, I'm inspired by it every day. Do you think there's some benefit
0: to having no plan B? Like this is it. Yeah, yeah, or no or no or no or no
1: pressure. You know, I didn't come from parents who were doctors or lawyers or engineers or something, so like nobody was trying to tell me I needed to be something. You know, so so that's that was beneficial to me because I never had to ask. I just was like, "All right, I'm just going to do this." So I never had any pressure from anybody to do anything, you know. So I think I got to find something that I really wanted to do that I took satisfaction from. And yes, I think of course there's there's a lot or there's a lot riding on my success and not having a plan B is like, yeah, you wake up in the morning and like there's some hard stuff to deal with, and you just like you can't. You can't walk away from it. Like you you can't you can't decide not to take that call today. You know, you can't bail on it. You ready for rapid fire? Yes, sir.
0: This is Lucas Eastwood, Eastwood Developments, Rapid Fire section. Do you meditate? Yes. Do you have a motto? No. What's one book you will recommend?
1: The miracle life of Edgar Mint.
0: What's your idea of fun? Working. What's your favorite food? Pizza. What is your present state of mind? Calm. What's one personal weakness you can forgive in someone?
1: A bad attitude.
0: Last and final question. Your house is on fire. All of the pets and family members are out of the house. What's three things you grab?
1: I have this little box where I have like stuff like from my dad. I probably grab that box. Um... You know, I probably grab like my Nipsey T-shirt um, <laughs> and I grab my like 82nd Airborne hat.
0: This was Cook on Monday Morning. This was Lucas Eastwood, the Lucas Eastwood story. I appreciate you, homie. Thank you.
1: Likewise. Thank you for having me.
0: Peace, peace. And thank you for listening to another episode of Cook on Monday Morning. At Cook on Monday Morning, we are building lives that make us excited about Monday morning. We believe that if you can own Monday morning, you can own the week. If you can own the week, you can own the year. And if you change your year, you can change your life. Thank you again for listening and thank you for subscribing. Please do so if you haven't already. I'm grateful for your support. Uh, Please share the podcast with a friend. Also, help us grow this community of doers. Please take a minute to also uh, rate and review the podcast on Apple. Leave a comment on YouTube. It really helps people hear about and find what we're doing here. If you're interested in starting your own podcast, I wrote an article. It's called, How to Start a Podcast During the Pandemic. You can check the article in the description box if you want to uh, you know, see how I started this one, the equipment we use, some book recommendations that'd be helpful to consider. Check that out when you get a chance. Cook on Monday Morning is a product of the Luther Harris Holding Company. We work in partnership to create solutions that drive impact. Uh, we build strategic partnerships between businesses and government we recruit diversity talent into high impact roles and we help companies drive impact in the places where they do business if you'd like to learn more about that feel free to email me info stevoncook.com. i'd like to thank the people that make our podcast possible our videographer david topete thank you david our copy editors Fernando Ocico Marquez, and Devin Sketchinger, Thank you both also. I get up every morning with the intention to create value and showcase my love to the people that keep our cities moving. Uh, you are our teachers, garbage collectors, uh, school lunch workers, custodians, social workers, fire workers, police officers, EMT workers, bus drivers, and nurses. Uh, you are our employers, the people helping create jobs and keeping our economy growing. You are our gig workers, uh, stocking our sales, driving our ride shares, delivering our food to so all of you. This podcast is for you. You live in places like San Francisco, Oakland, Richmond, Antioch, San Mateo, Los Angeles, Dallas, Houston, New Orleans, Baton Rouge, Miami, Orlando, the Carolinas, Virginia Beach, Milwaukee, Kansas City, Cleveland, Detroit, Harlem, Brooklyn, uh, shout out to all of our listeners also know on the continent and around the world, uh, Nigeria, Ghana, Jamaica, Kenya, and Ethiopia. To all of you, this podcast is for you. This message is touching the world and will continue to do so because of you. Until we meet again, peace, peace, and out.